Today's reading are Psalm 4 and Galatians 5, 22-26. They can be found on pages 500 and 1078 of the Bibles next to your seat, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you men turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you, alone, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And from Galatians 5, starting with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The Word of the Lord. Got to get the furniture right. Guests are coming over. Just kidding. Will you, will you join me as we begin in a word of prayer? A gracious God, as we come into this place and from all kinds of different places, we all um, have something going on in our lives that, um, that you say, at least, that you are the answer, that you are the satisfaction that we um, long for, but we probably chase after a lot of other things to find it, and we come up dry. Whether we come um, this morning with a lot of joy or thankfulness in our hearts because maybe for the first time we've experienced you as being real and providing for us, or whether we come with doubt or grief or sorrow or just a dullness to our relationship with you that, that we, we wonder if we're just losing faith, wherever we come from, we're all in the same boat. Each of us is more of a mess than we care to admit to anyone, and we're in need of your grace every second. And you have shown us through your story that you move towards us with your grace despite our messiness. And you come towards us so that we might find the satisfaction that we long for and we find it in your forgiving love. Will you speak to us and teach us through that love that our lives might be changed this morning? In Christ's name we pray, amen. I grew up in farming country. In the Central Valley, uh, there are a lot of tree farms. My father was, or not my father, my grandfather was a tree farmer. Um, he's still alive, but he just doesn't spend any time in the orchards anymore. And he was also a prankster, my grandpa. So at Fourth of July, when everyone's serenely sitting at their tables eating their barbecue, you never see him do it either. You, you never see him before or after. All of a sudden, a whole brick of firecrackers would go off about five feet from where everyone was sitting. And everyone would jump about five feet out of their chair straight up. Okay, I'm exaggerating, but it was terrifying. And you'd never see him. You'd never see him. 
I can never figure out who his source was on the firecrackers either. Um, so knowing my grandpa was a prankster and often working in orchards as a kid, I remember um, working with him during harvest time. There's a certain kind of like picking up the loose almonds that are there after the machine goes through and getting them in rows. And so we're doing this together. And now something you need to know about almonds is that um, in the wild, if one drops off a tree and just plants itself on a property line or something and it kind of grows up into this almond bush, the almonds actually are sour on those kind of trees. And they're, they're the, kind, the kind that you like, the kind that you roast and eat commonly, are actually from the ones that farmers plant, which are have the, the seed, like the almond, grafted early on in, at least what I was told growing up, was a peach root. So a different kind of root system produces this better-tasting almond. I'm sure I'll use that illustration in some other cool sermon about grafting or something. But for right now, you just need to know that for the prank, And which was that I, was, I noticed my grandpa would often eat an almond that would be sitting in the crook of a tree because it's just kind of like table level, you know? And so he would see one up there instead of on the ground, and he'd just pull it and break off the shells and eat it. So I grabbed a few from one of these trees on the property line, set them in the crook of a tree, a couple, you know, trees up where he was headed, and sure, I couldn't believe how perfectly it worked. Sure enough, he walks up, picks it up, taking it off, and all of a sudden this look on his face when he gets this bitter almond. He goes, oh, who put that there? And um, I, I actually think he was happy that this, his prankster nature was kind of getting passed on. Um, in Psalm chapter 1, or Psalm, the first psalm of the book of Psalms, which is 150, um, I kind of, I love this analogy growing up around trees. It talks about a tree planted by streams of water, and it compares this righteous way, where the tree planted by streams of water, with the, the other way, which, so the one is like fruitful, in season and out of season, and the other one is like there's a deadness of sort of the things that are discarded in the harvest that kind of just blow away and turn into dust. Two spiritual paths. Galatians chapter 5, as we come to this fairly, you know, fairly well-known scripture passage about the fruit of the Spirit, it's coming at us kind of the same way in chapter 5. Two lists, two ways, two approaches. And again, I like how we're talking about fruit. Fruit. So we're going to learn, this is the last message in the How People Change series and we're going to learn from this fruit aspect, the fruit of the Spirit, three things that we need to know about Christian change, change in your life. One is don't get uh, squashed. Don't get squashed by unrealistic burdens. Two is stay in step with the Spirit. And three, uh, suspect the value of your life conditions. So don't get squashed, first of all. Don't get squashed by unrealistic burdens. If you look at this passage... Um, in chapter 5, there is a list of the bad stuff and a list of the good stuff. The title given to each list is very important and interesting because the, they're not called the same kind of thing. One is called, well, it says acts, but the word is erga, like ergonomics. A lot of translations say works, the works of the sinful nature. Works. So we're going to go with that works. And the second list is fruit. Very significant, actually. Works. On the one hand, you have works. On the other hand, you have fruit. Works, you picture running, chasing, trying, spending your life. And you know how this can play out? This can play out whether you're trying to do life, trying to create a fruitful life without God. You say, I don't, you know, I'm just, 
religion's not for me, God's not for me, I can make life out on my own. And you, you run and you chase and you make a life. The Bible would say that you know, you get exhausted and you find yourself under a burden that is unrealistic to provide the fruitful life for yourself. You know what, though? It happens in the, in the Christian as well. It happens in the religious person as well because what, what is the other way of working and working? Working to try to please God in order to uh, work your way into God's favor. Interesting thing about this passage is that the Apostle Paul's writing this. He's writing to Christians. He wants them to change. He's hoping they change. He's writing to them, and he plants right in the middle of a list of kind of pagan sins, witchcraft, drunkenness, orgies, uh, you know, idolatry. Right in the middle are the sins of a zealous Christian community. <laughs> he just kind of puts them all together. Just kind of brushes the you know the canvas with these are you know sins the sinful nature. You know, factions, dissensions, selfish ambition, people working so hard because they're so right and they can't help but get angry and compare and talk about others in unloving ways and it just builds and I'm right and you're wrong. You know, you you may have even seen it at work. So whether you're running from God, whether you're running towards God, you can be working. You can be working in a way that is unfruitful. I have a tree in my backyard that's... um, an apricot tree. I've successfully, it's taken me several years, but I'm to the point now where this third fruit tree that was there when I moved in is also beginning to show signs that it's dying um, and, and not going to make it through uh, another season or two. Um, when, when this apricot tree is bursting with apricots, which it was a couple years ago, and I don't think it's going to be this year, I can already tell, um, but when it was, I wouldn't jump up and down and say, It'd invite people over and say, look at all this fruit. This tree is amazing. It's working so hard. It's doing such a you know, great job of growing. It's so much better than other apricot trees. I would say um, the conditions were right. The conditions were good. Or I'd say, you know, I, as the, the owner of this property, and you know, I've, I've been caring for it. I understand the conditions. There, and there's a certain amount of, you know, if that's over time, if it's successful, there's a certain amount of truth to that. When you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you're not talking about something you work real hard on your, on your own to accomplish. And you're pinning, really, your spiritual fruit. In the end, it's, it's like a starting point. It's very important kind of um, uh, tone-setting principle that the Bible throws at you. Know that the fruit that you hope for and that you will see in your life is from the Holy Spirit. There's a gardener watching out for the conditions, knowing you know when there's trouble, when there's parasites, when you got to do one thing because the conditions had this. That's it. Now, sure, this passage is totally trying to get Christians, in its original context, trying to get Christians to kind of you know come on and and live a good life, come on and do these things. It's definitely trying to produce some motivation to to work in some way towards. A fruitful life. But catch this tone setting word fruit of the Spirit, not works. And how might that change your approach towards God if that's if you're if you if if you're believing that it's the Spirit who's going to produce the fruitful life and the change in your life? It's going to have you praying more, looking to God and saying, God, help, Holy Spirit, 
will you please produce fruit? I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how to get there, but I see this area right here, and I need help. So it's a tone setter, but nevertheless, we do get to some instruction in this passage. So the second point is to stay in step with the Spirit. It's the main instruction that's given in the midst of these lists. Stay in step with the Spirit. If you like to notice the literature of of things and the, the, the art of the literature of things, in verse 16 it's hinted at, and then in verse 25 you see it again. In verse 16 of chapter 5, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You flip over, and then so it's kind of beginning and ending, bookending this section. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When you think about that word, keeping in step, think about aligning yourself with the Holy Spirit. Aligning yourself. Think about swimmers uh, who are like professional-grade, synchronized swimming team. And just the amazing togetherness going on there. Maybe you're a, maybe dancing is more your thing. Think about watching, if you've seen the movie, This Is It, and you see Michael Jackson's backup singers, or dancers, sorry, and, and doing their choreographed routines, and it's before the dress rehearsal even, and they've just, they're all so perfectly together in step, their bodies are all together. There's that sort of staying in step with the Holy Spirit that we're that we're told to pursue. It's very mysterious. It's not like a bullet point thing outline, here's the seven steps to doing that. It's a little bit tricky. But the Apostle Paul, as he writes this, he knows that if you build into your life, in some way, if you build into your life, access access points for the Holy Spirit, then you'll find that you have a sort of, almost like the muscle memory of a synchronized Swimmer, You'll have the muscle memory when the the out-of-the-ordinary stuff comes, when the real challenge comes. You'll say, oh, wait a second. I've seen this before. And what is it I used to pray? Maybe maybe it's for guys and it's, it's lust. There's this Lenten prayer in the back. There's like, we had 16 of these different prayer cards for doing daily prayers during Lent. Maybe, you know, you're a guy and four months from now, you hit this moment and you go, wait a second, this is familiar. What was that prayer again? I have a void in my heart meant for connection to others. So I'm temp- uh, a connection I often don't know how to cultivate, so I'm tempted with cheap connection. Fill me with your love so I can move beyond cheap connections to seeing people around me as your beloved children, created in your image, brothers and sisters in the Holy Family. Help me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Draw near to my soul, I pray. Sort of muscle memory, spiritually. Sort of being in line with the Spirit. And you'll find, as you create access points in your life, that it's not creating those that's doing anything necessarily to get you right with God or to put you at peace with God, but it's doing things that cultivate what ends up being fruit that shows up in difficult circumstances instead of producing thorns. All right, the last thing. Suspect value in your life conditions. Um, You know, we're we're so... Uh, prone towards looking at our situation and saying, and just kind of writing it off and saying, this is something that I need to get through. There's no purpose to this. God, maybe if you're praying, God, make this go away. This is terrible. Um, 
But it's interesting. When the fruit of the Spirit had blossomed in someone's life, uh, it's interesting how they talk about it. Maybe you've seen this even in your community pod, if you, if you go to one. Um, what, they, what they don't say, let's start with what they don't say. When, some, when the fruit of the Spirit is blossoming in someone's life, they don't say, you know, last year I got that promotion, and it, it was amazing just getting that promotion. I finally developed a sort of kindness towards others that I never had before. It was incredible. <laughs> Um, you know, the time when my heart started to have this gentle edge to it goes back to when that, that, that trouble-making coworker that I hated was fired. <laughs> Suddenly, I just became a gentle person all around. My character changed. I didn't even know what joy was until I received that prestigious degree. And now I just have this joy about all of life. For three years, my investment values in- increased dramatically. And it was amazing. This t- God used that to, to give me self-control. I mean, it's just not how it goes. How does it go? You hear things like this, you know. When my best friend's marriage was crumbling and I was the, on the phone every night, looking back, I realized that's when I began to understand love. God began to, to show me love and teach me love, real love. When we had another miscarriage... Finally, God taught us a lesson about patience and depending on God for all our hopes. When I slowly ran out of money for over a three-year period, I had to foreclose on my dream house. God taught me something about being faithful to him, no matter what. As I faced my own death and fought the insidious enemy of cancer, I discovered joy. I'm glad I went through it. Suspect value in your life conditions. I think C.S. Lewis, as he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, I think he must have taken great joy in bringing out this exact spiritual principle when he, when he showed this, the story of Eustace. Eustace was this child who made his way into Narnia with the other kids, but he just was this bitter, negative child, and they were sailing on this ship, and he didn't do any work, and he complained, and the whole world was against him, and he was all alone, and yet he kept seemed to be getting more and more bitter, and everyone knew, you know, this is, as you read it, you're going, this, this is the one that needs to change somehow in this story. So they get to this place, and I won't go into all the details, but it's so fun. I'm, I'm reading this, these books to my children. It's, I can imagine C.S. Lewis having so much fun showing the story of Eustace and showing what happens and how that applies to change in our lives. When he kind of wanders off, finds a dragon's cave, falls asleep on the treasure, and, and he's put something on his arm, and something about that, he wakes up, and he's become a dragon himself. He's become this hideous beast that no one wants to be around. And it's, you know, in this moment where he kind of sees his reflection in the pond and for the first time sees the hideous creature that he has become and he begins to change. He begins to change. He begins to, as soon as he turns into this dragon, he begins to change his perspective on other people, realizing, you know, they're not all that bad. They're not really against me. Uh, You know what? turns out I was the chump. I was the nuisance on that trip on the boat. 
And of course, C.S. Lewis doesn't leave Eustace to, to, you know, remain a dragon, and there has to be something that comes out of this. And so what happens is he meets the lion, Aslan. Sorry, you know, to, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't read these children's books yet. Um, so he meets Aslan, and he's later telling the story of what happened, and he, and he, and he explains that Aslan, Aslan said, you have to undress yourself. And he kind of said, what? And he realized maybe he means peel off the scales. So he starts peeling, and he does it a couple times, and, and his whole skin comes off, but it doesn't do any good, and so this is how it goes. He says, so I scratched away for a third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, you'll have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first uh, tear, or sorry, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, I became perfectly delicious, or it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. Two things happen. He, he sees in the situation the hideous condition of his heart. But a second thing has to happen. He has to realize he can't peel away all the layers of his mess himself. He can just, he'll keep peeling and peeling. There's a certain extent that he's never going to get deep enough into his heart. That's exactly how it is for us. We need to see the hideous condition of our heart. And there's a point of just letting God, through his spirit, develop fruit in us by peeling back the layers that we've put up, that others have put up for us. And then I love this summary about Eustace. It would be nice and fairly true, fairly true, to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could, he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. Will you pray with me? God of grace, may you begin the cure in us, whether we are so resistant to us, we just sit here and we say, that doesn't apply to me at all. Or whether we're so desperate for it and we wish it was there and we just keep asking questions and reading the Bible and trying and it just still seems so elusive. Wherever we are, God, will you, will you access our hearts? Will you even give us the motivation to, to put ourselves in places where you are so that we may drink from the living water and fruit may 